This week's guest is Lori Ruteman, who exited the corporate life at Pfizer to set up her own HR consultancy, Punk Rock HR. Fantastic name. And she works with executives, business leaders, and HR directors. Lori is the author of a book called Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First and Finally Take Control of Your Career. And one of my favorite authors, Daniel Pink, I've got two books of his here, Drive and To Sell as Human, he reviewed Laurie's book and described it as indispensable reading for anyone looking to improve their professional selves. Laurie is, of course, a consultant. She's a trainer. She has a highly popular course on LinkedIn Learning called Be the Manager That People Won't Leave. I checked the stats this afternoon. 784,291 learners. Wow. It's a really great chat this week with Laurie. Laurie's podcast is really relevant to what we're talking about here. And Laurie's going to share advice on things like how you can prepare to step away from your corporate role, what to do in order to negotiate a severance that works for you, and why a pre-mortem will help you avoid critical business mistakes, particularly when you set up your own business as a consultant or something else. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show every Thursday without fail. We have episodes on your podcast platform of choice. In fact, you'll find all episodes past, present, and future on those platforms like Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Either way, you're here You're here today, and for that, I'm very thankful. I'd love to thank you for coming back, if this is not your first time here. If this is your first time here, this is the show for trainers, facilitators, coaches, people who make a living from sharing their expertise, their knowledge in the form of workshops, training programs, and so on. So the goal of this show, in fact, every episode of the show, is to help you to start to grow and to scale your business. Now, the title is Training Business. The accent for me is the word business because the kinds of topics we focus on are those that are really the sharp end of working for yourself. It's about the marketing and the sales and pricing and developing your brand in a way that makes you money. Now, if you've got great ideas for episodes and content, I'm sure you have. I'd love to hear from you, and you can reach me personally via email, and my email address is simply mark at trainingbusiness.com. If you've got some feedback, ideas, suggestions, or even need some kind of help, please contact me and I will do my best to help you. If I can't, I'll direct you towards someone who can. So this week's episode is with Lori Ruteman, and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Lori, hi, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So where are you right now as we're speaking? Sure. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. So for those of your listeners who don't know the United States very well, I'm south of Washington, D.C. and north of Florida. That's a big space, but that's where I am. You've uh, a great uh, podcast by by name. I love it. Um, punk Rock. Um, tell us about what you do, for whom you do it, and what led you to the point where you are now. Sure. I do have a podcast called 
punk rock HR, but that is very much a late stage development in my career. I started out in human resources and I did that for a stint and realized I was terrible at it and transitioned to becoming a writer, a speaker, and an entrepreneur. But you know, that is a boring, superficial story, right? In there is heartache and despair and hope and success (laughs) and all of that. (laughs) But, you know, this has been a journey of over 15 years in my late stage career. And here I am today, an author and a podcaster. So yeah, that's the overview. And you're also a consultant. I mean, you work with organizations, helping them in a range of areas. So what got you into consultancy, training and development? Well, I do. I work with Fortune 500 companies on transformational projects in the human resources space. I have a background in HR. I know a little bit about technology and I know a little bit about human behavior. But, you know, I was working at just a small company by the name of Pfizer. Like nobody's ever heard of that company, right? Never heard of them. And yeah, it was not a good fit. Um, I worked hard and I like to say that I did my job and I did it with integrity. But you know, it was wearing at my soul. Have you ever had a job like that where it was just eating your heart out and eating Several your times. soul alive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was my that was my story, right? And I had this inflection point at an airport where I just couldn't do it anymore. I was in between flights and eating terribly. For those of you who know Western candy, I was eating Starburst and drinking a Pepsi for dinner because I thought, oh my God, you know, I just need to catch this flight. And I was reading a trashy tabloid magazine because God forbid, I believe in continuous learning for myself. So yeah, I had this moment where I was like, This is insane. I can't continue to live like this. And looking at these celebrities in this magazine, I'm like, why not me? Why can't I pursue my dreams? Why can't I be a writer and a speaker and open up my own consultancy? So I had this moment, but, you know, I recognized that these celebrities put themselves first. And I reflected on my organization. My company was always putting itself first, even when they said they had no money. And I thought, my God, I need to crack this code. I need to understand it. But, you know, it's not like I could just say, take this job and shove it. I couldn't quit and open a consultancy overnight. And I think that was kind of my first good lesson in this world that you can have this epiphanyanic moment, but you don't have to act on it. And so I didn't. I sat with it for months and went on this journey to really figure out how do I launch version 2.0 of my life, open a consultancy, be a writer, be a speaker, but not go broke. Yeah. That was real important. Yeah. So how did you do that? I mean, did you get your initial clients in a particular way? Well, (laughs) I mean, I had been doing this thing that was a big deal in the great recession of the 2000s, which was blogging. I'd been writing and I didn't have a huge audience when I started, which was great because I was practicing the art of communication. And so I was writing and developing my style and building an audience. And by the time I had really thought about leaving, I had hundreds of thousands of people coming to this blog on a regular basis. So what I was doing was I was practicing while I still had a job. And it was giving me market validation, telling me, you can go out there, you can share your ideas. And so when I did leave, I had I outed myself, first of all. I had been doing this all anonymously. And I had fans and advocates, and I could make that ask 
as the consultants say, you know, I can go and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to train. I'm ready to consult. And people were like, hell yeah, I'm on your side. So it was the early quiet work while I had a job. I was essentially working two jobs that gave me permission to then quit and then have clients baked in. So how do you treat your current job if you are conscious of the desire to to move on and to try something else? What advice have you to people who need to treat their employer fairly and do a good job, but also give enough time to developing their next iteration, their next step? So when they do go to move, um, they're also ready to do so. Well, you know, I consult and coach with executives and and leaders who are just burned out and they're like, oh, I give 110%. And that's a lie. Nobody ever gives 110% to their jobs. That's a story we tell ourselves. We may work hard. We may believe that a job worth doing is a job worth doing well. But this notion that we give all of ourselves to our employer is a lie. And in fact, if you do that, you're weird because the key to a healthy life is through balance, is through this idea that you live a big, bold, courageous life outside of work and you bring that good stuff to your job and then you do a really good job and you learn and you grow and you take the essence of that and bring your work life to your personal life. So it becomes an interesting ecosystem. So when I discovered in my journey of wanting to do great work at Pfizer, but wanting to leave is this notion of professional detachment. And it's taught by the FBI and the CIA here in America and leading consultancies teach this to executives where you go to work, you do a job, you do it with integrity, but you treat your job as if they are your very favorite client. And at the end of the day, you turn that work off. That's it. Professional detachment, yeah. And if you then realized, okay, the time now is is to move on, had you a plan in place to facilitate this stepping off? I mean, you realized you wanted to move on from Pfizer. What was your plan to make it a reality? Had you a particular business plan or an approach to get your first clients, to create products and services and price them and develop them and market them? Good Lord, I wish. (laughs) I mean, I had some of the makings of a plan, and I write about this in my book, Betting on You. You know, I um, talked to a lot of really smart people who were doing the work that I wanted to do, but I also knew that nobody was going to deliver products and services like I would do it. And so there's that arrogance of, you know, wanting to go to market and be yourself and thinking, absolutely, nobody is doing what I'm doing. And it's true, but people are doing pieces of it. So I was smart enough to go and talk to a lot of those individuals. I also knew that I needed money to do this. I didn't want to drain my personal savings. And so I started my own savings account. But, you know, in corporate America, and actually globally, people get fired all the time, executives, and they walk away with money. And again, I thought, why not me? So I went to Pfizer and I asked for a severance package. And they said, sure. <laughs> and so I was as simple amazed. As that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was like, you're going to pay me to leave? That's awesome. You know? And so in my book and also in my coaching practice, I teach people how to leave and ask for severance. I think that's so incredibly important. Nobody will ever give you what you don't ask for. 
And there are sales executives, marketing executives who are absolutely terrible, doing no good for this world. And they've negotiated a package on the front end of their employment agreement. But there's no reason why you can't channel that. You can't emulate that. You can't put yourself first and develop some language, some fluency around asking for more. And so it's a simple conversation. It varies from state to state here in America and region to region over in Western Europe and Asia, but you can ask for a severance package and you may get it. And that's incredibly helpful because as you know, no consultancy is profitable right out the gate. It can take you at least two years. So you might as well have that angel investment that you've given to yourself. Was there anything else that one could, now that you look back on this, anything else one could ask for or do to set yourself up for a better stepping off point apart from the severance? Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> for, for me, I mean, there were a lot of things that I did do and I wish I would have done. And I, you know, did lean into my network and I got a bunch of friends and, you know, I told everybody what I was doing, but this is, this is just something that's been on my mind lately in every country that I'm aware of. There is an agency that is focused on small businesses and helping you build a business plan and helping you figure out a road to profitability. Here in America, that agency is called SCORE. And so many people don't take advantage of these resources, whether it's through the government or through local counties. And in fact, there's something about asking for help that is so antithetical to a consultant. Like we we want to solve problems. We don't want to ask for help. But out there are experts who have done this work, who have built the business plans, who have worked on financial modeling, who have made all the mistakes, and they're volunteering their time and their energy to help you, the budding entrepreneur, find your way in this crazy ecosystem of capitalism, and we ignore it, or we don't even know it exists. So if I could do it all over again, I would have availed myself to an agency here in America called SCORE. They're so great. They're so amazing. And it would have helped me understand the ins and outs, the administration, the compliance and the regulations needed to just even open and run a small consultancy. Uh, because I think it varies from state to state. The requirements are different, of course, depending on where you are in the world. But um, Everywhere, yeah. There are definitely administrative loopholes, uh, legal loopholes to go through. Um, insurance, you know, practicing as a consultant, as a trainer or facilitator, you're you're obviously exposing yourself to some degree. You need some kind of insurance. There's lots out there. So did you work with SCORE at any point? Do you know anyone who has and what they've said about that process of availing of resources? Yeah. You know, I recommend it all the time. I did not work with them. And by the time I realized, oh my gosh, I set my business up in a way that wasn't necessarily tax advantageous. Uh, you know, I, I need to do all of this other work. Like I learned things the hard way, like most consultants. Um, by the time I discovered all this, I just had to pay people to fix it for me. And I'm like, one of the hallmarks of being an entrepreneur is writing checks to other people. Okay, I get this now, you know? And so when I learned about SCORE, I've been an advocate ever since. I know people who volunteer. I know people who take advantage of it. And again, it's different here in America. It's different over in Western Europe. It varies everywhere. But uh, the key is to really have conversations and ask people, how did you learn? What are some of the mistakes you've made? And 
this is something I'm passionate about, really figuring out failure before you fail. I don't even know if that makes sense. It does, because I think you've mentioned that term the first time we spoke, the pre-mortem. And the way I think of this is like an x-ray. So if you think of the the plans you have, if you x-ray them for the invisible cracks, where are the weaknesses, the possible failures before they happen? So if we look back again, because I like your idea of of um, of helping people or thinking, helping people to think of what they need to do to set themselves up for success, what else would you tell yourself um, two, three, four, five years ago about the things you would do differently to make that jump from working as a corporate employee to now working for yourself and running your own business? Anything else that comes to mind? I would. I want to stick with failure because I think I was so afraid of failing. And yet, it's just such a natural part of the process. And as part of my journey, I've actually learned and now taught failure prevention techniques, risk mitigation techniques. And my favorite one is the pre-mortem. And I would have told myself to do the pre-mortem. So I will share this technique, this tool with your audience, and we'll see if it resonates. Um, All right. So the pre-mortem is the opposite of the post-mortem. Everybody knows what a post-mortem is. It's when a project is done and potentially failed. You look at it, and you assign blame. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, Lori did a terrible job and Mark did a terrible job. And then you put it in a digital or a physical binder and you put it on the shelf. And then you do that thing again and you never think back on failure. Everybody is so afraid to fail and yet it's so natural. So I stumbled on this technique called the premortem that was kind of made popular through the Stoics. And over the years, it's now taught at like Ithaca and Stanford, Cornell, all the big schools here in America, the B schools teach it. And essentially, the pre-mortem is an x-ray to figure out how you're going to fail before you fail. So in this circumstance, if you're thinking about opening a consultancy, what I would invite your audience, your listeners to do is to set a timer for no more than two minutes, like maybe one minute is fine. And when the timer starts, begin to write down all the ways you will fail. Not might fail, not could fail, you will fail. Now, you can be silly and irreverent, but also serious. So if you're going to open a consultancy, how would you fail? Well, uh, you may set your business up wrong. You may not get the right insurance. You may not have the right kind of clients. You may not even know what your value proposition is. Or you may go homeless. Your partner may leave you. <laughs> you know, you may not be able to pay your heating bill. Whatever it is, write it down. The good, the bad, the ugly. When the timer goes off, please stop. We don't want you to spiral. But what you've done when you've created this list is you've given yourself a gift. You're now looking at potential glitches, potential errors that you can make. And if you start to address them and tick them off one by one before you do the thing you want to do, you improve your chance of success by over 30%. The pre-mortem is just such a great tool. And it's even better if you do it in a group because then you can talk about it. You know, what did you write down? And you can identify commonalities, but also understand What's in my blind spot? What am I not seeing? And had I done this before multiple iterations of my business, I would have at least taken care of the low-hanging fruit, but also given myself permission to fail in new and more interesting and more extraordinary ways 
So that would be my advice to myself five years ago to go do that pre-mortem. Yeah, it makes sense. It's reverse psychology. I think most of us, when we're thinking of a business plan or some kind of planning, we get excited. Uh, in sales, we'd say happy years. We we focus on all the things we'd like to happen and we overlook or perhaps decide to ignore the kinds of things which could happen. So the technique, I guess, makes you conscious of what could happen and helps you to mitigate. Um, if we think of um, other ways in which people can set themselves up for success, so we've got someone listening right now who works in corporate HR or talent development or marketing or some aspect of corporate life, and they're thinking of making the leap. Um, I like the idea of resources. Um, I found a coach, and that coach challenges me and helps me to think differently. It's all about perspective. Um, do you know people who've done this really well, who have made that leap into working for themselves, have developed their brand? Because your brand is tremendous. You know, punk rock HR, it's fantastic. What what have you seen out there in the community, people you're aware of who've done this extremely well? What have they succeeded in doing? I have a dear friend, Jennifer McClure, who is a former HR and recruitment leader, uh, really focused now on executive leadership, executive presence, building your brand, helping leaders live with impact and live a life that they love and have a career that matters. And I feel like Jennifer McClure has gone slow to go fast. She really takes the time to think, to gain information, to do research, to (laughs) really just understand the marketplace. And when she does something, she does it with integrity. She does it without hesitation because she has done the research. Now, you know, I am the opposite of Jennifer. I jump headfirst into things. I like to take risks. You know, I think, oh, I've done the pre-mortem, you know, and this is why we're dear friends, you know. But I admire that about Jennifer because Jennifer does really interesting, nuanced work. And she does it with such confidence. And that's because she's got the research, the data, the, you know, the life experience, the conversations to inform her. So, you know, I I just want to say this again, so many people out there, especially during this time of, you know, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, feel like they want to say, you know, I'm done with this job. I'm quitting, you know, take this job and shove it. And I love it. I love that energy. I love that enthusiasm. But I don't love the outcome of a quick, irrational decision. And so someone like Jennifer is a good person to look at, you know, storied career in human resources and takes her time to really think through how she wants to leave a mark in this world. So Jennifer is one to watch. And again, Jennifer has coaches. Jennifer has people that she talks to because no person is an island. You can't do this work alone. You can't, no. And and the number of times I've gone down the path of developing a product, and I wish I'd consulted someone at least to get some um, feedback on how it could be priced differently, structured differently. Um, a lot of consultants think as, as solo players. And although we are self-employed, we're still part of a community. And this is really what training business is about. It's about helping people like you and me who are making that leap, thinking of perhaps exiting corporate life, starting on their own, attracting their first clients, building a business that's sustainable uh, with repeatable and hopefully uh, reliable income streams. If we look down the road then um, into the near future, what is the plan then for your consultancy, your clients, your brand? 
Well, Mark, I'm 47 years old. The plan is retirement. Come on, you know. <laughs> so an, an exit point. <laughs> I I don't want to do this forever. Come on, I, you know. A lot of people are motivated by um, passion for work, and I admire those people. You know, they're like passionate for a cause. Their why is to change the world, or their why is to train, a, you know, a million leaders. You know, the, I have a friend, Mike Sipple Jr., who wants to touch. One million leaders before his journey is over, or something Good like grief. that. Good grief. I'm tired now listening to that. Yeah. Well, and I love Mike and I love his energy, but um, I'm not motivated by work. Like, my why is something different. And I think this is also something that's important because we have lived through a decade of people who are like hustling and hacking and really super aggressive about work. And for what? Only to leave us in a situation where life has truly disappointed us during COVID. Like, most workforces are worse not better. Even with all the really? consultants out there. Yeah. All the trainers, like work is worse than it's ever been. I really believe that. So my why is my family. It's my like life that I live outside of work. And while I'm good at human resources, I'm good at training, I'm good at teaching, I'm good at speaking. And that's great. I have those skills. I don't let that define me because I have this core belief that your work is not your worth. That you are an amazing human being. You're interesting. You're talented. You deserve love and affection and food and shelter and education just for the fact that you were born, not because of your job title or your consultancy or your clients. You know, I remember going into networking events before COVID and it was like, who are you and who do you work for and who do you work with? And nobody cared about my volunteerism, my family, where I've been on vacation. People just, I don't know. They just didn't care because it didn't benefit them. I don't, I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where people relate to one another on a human to human level. So I advocate for this thing called a human statement. Like the next time you network, don't say your job title. Don't say your company. Talk about the things you do when you're not working. I've learned this throughout the years from great mentors. You know, that, that is the most interesting question you can ask somebody. What do you do when you're not working? <laughs> Lead with business. that, even yeah. <laughs> like I love that. Yeah, I think we've seen that on LinkedIn a lot more human level communication. People sharing health issues, talking about family, sharing more pictures. If I th contrast that with five years ago on LinkedIn, no one did this stuff, and now there's like a sea change in what people communicate and share agree, online. Agree, agree. But that stuff is performative, and that stuff is like, look at how human I am. Come and work with me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Look at look at my mental health issues, but I'm I'm awesome. I'm a survivor, and come come work with me. Come hire me. Let me help you with your brand. Like I just, and again, I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. I love LinkedIn for the potential to help people be the CEOs of their own life and to work. But at some point, you know, your life exists offline, and so some of this kind of. Um, self-revelatory and self-congratulatory humanness on LinkedIn just really gets my goat. It really grates me. So uh, yeah, I could talk about that all day. Yeah, a lot of virtue signaling. That's true. Um, okay. So if I said to you, last question from me, um, if you want to shape HR, if you want to shape how companies um, build great teams, great people, uh, that build great brands and great places to work, what would that be for you? How would your consultancy, your your teaching, your training, your expertise help make that possible? 
Sure. Well, I am focused on the individual at this point in my career. Like that's um, a journey for me, an inflection point. You know, I used to go into organizations and do this work, and now I'm doing keynote speeches. I'm communicating more one-to-one rather than one-to-sixteen in, you know, a semicircle. <laughs> that's not what I'm doing anymore. So for for me, you know, I am out there really talking about this idea of your work is not your worth. And also in order to fix work as leaders, as human resources professionals, we have to fix work for ourselves first. We talk about, you know, learning and employee engagement as these esoteric ideas, but what about our learning? What about our engagement? And if it's broken for us, how does it feel for the everyday worker? So, you know, it's just amazing when I talk to human resources leaders or training leaders, and I'm like, when was the last time you read something for fun? Because all learning is worthwhile. Yeah, all learning helps you grow. And when you're growing, you're thriving. And that's what life is all about. But instead, they're reading crucial conversations for the 15th time. And believe me, I love a crucial conversation, but you don't need to read that book again. You need to read some fiction or some poetry. So um, I'm really focused on continuous learning, but not yet another course in the world of human resources or learning and development. I'm focused on learning to be a better person. That's what it's all about for me. And that's what we bring really to our jobs. I hope so. Our humanity. Yeah. yeah. Laurie, thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you? They can head on over to punkrockhr.com and say hi to me on LinkedIn, but I really don't want to know your personal journey on LinkedIn, you know, like I'm sure it's really interesting and important, but I'm, I'm busy. So yeah, let's, but let's connect. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the show, Lori. Yeah. Thank you. Huge thanks to Lori for being our guest today on the show. And you can find Lori by visiting LinkedIn. You'll find her courses on LinkedIn learning and you can find her website over at laurierutemann.com. I'll provide all links, of course, in the show notes to today's episode on trainingbusiness.com. Please subscribe because it costs nothing. It takes a couple of seconds and validates what I, James Sam, and the team do to bring you great episodes every single week. So please subscribe and please tell other people about the show because this helps to increase traffic and spreads the word. This is a community and we look to help people just like you and me wherever we are on our business journey in the world of training, facilitation, and development. Until next week, please keep those ideas coming. Please keep going and keep training. Talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.